Hi, I'm Adam McKay, and welcome to Bedtime Stories with Adam McKay, the show where we improvise a bedtime story to hopefully help you ease into a wonderful night of sleep during these crazy, bonkers times that we're living through. Hey, this is the way I normally speak. This is my normal resting voice. Is it always that slow? Is it usually? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's a part of it. Something about the fact that this is a bedtime show makes me go into the register of, uh, I was telling Harry about Ken Nordine, word jazz. Uh, Most people probably don't know who Ken Nordine is, but he's one of the godfathers of spoken word. And if you have some time, look up word jazz. And uh, also good bedtime listening, very relaxing, kind of beautiful stuff, experimental stuff. Um, How have you been sleeping? Um, Better lately, I would say. I've been trying to, I've been trying to practice good sleep hygiene. And what does that mean exactly? You know, like don't look at screens for a while before you go to bed. Try and go to bed at the same time every night. All of these things that people, when you complain that you have having trouble sleep, they're like, oh, your sleep hygiene, which sounds gross. It does sound gross, especially for something as wonderful as sleep. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's good that you're paying attention. And has that helped? I think so. I mean... It's hard to say. It kind of comes and goes. But I think that even the the ritual of like trying to do that stuff is puts you in a sleep state of mind. Like I, I take melatonin, and I and people are like, oh, if you take that all the time, it will stop working because you, your body will get used to it or whatever. But it's still like when I take it, I'm like bedtime. I have the same thing. I use melatonin. I'm a I'm a big guy. I'm six five, around two forty to thirty five. And the only problem with the melatonin is I start taking like 15 milligrams and that seems to be too much. Yeah. How much do you take? I think I usually take like four, four oh, to six. No, now I feel like, I feel like uh, uh, William Burroughs of melatonin. <laughs> well, we're going to tell uh, a bedtime story. Uh, it's going to be made up on the spot. Uh, you guys hopefully know how the show goes. And what I do is I get a just a suggestion from Mr. Nelson, and we kind of go with it. Might be a little patchy. There might be a little stop and start, uh, but uh, but it'll it'll be in the spirit of the suggestion. So, Mr. Nelson, do you want to give me a word, a location, an image, anything you want? Yeah, and it will wind into tonight's bedtime story. I'm gonna go with perhaps because of our jazz talk earlier. Funky. Funky. That's a good word, funky. Christine grew up outside of Columbus, Ohio, and she came from a very traditional, some would call vanilla upbringing. Both her parents were middle school teachers. Her dad taught geography. Her mom taught social studies. And her brother was a so-so baseball player. And Christine, despite living in this very middle-of-the-road, typical Americana neighborhood, 
always had one love from the age of eight years old on, and that was funk. She loved funk music, and her parents could never figure out how she'd even heard funk to begin with, since her parents mostly loved Bruce Hornsby and The Range. And her brother mostly loved uh, hip-hop, pop hip-hop. But somehow Christine had latched on to the thumping, syncopatic rhythms of funk. And she didn't just enjoy the music, which she certainly did. Her Spotify playlist was filled with classic funk. But she also wanted to play the music. And once again, from a very young age, kept asking her mom, can I take bass lessons? Can I play the bass? Can I play the bass? And there weren't many kids asking for that. Most of her friends were forced by their parents to take piano lessons, or maybe if the parents were a little cooler, guitar lessons. But she had no friends who were playing the bass. But after a year of asking, and like any parent, her mom was happy that she was interested in something, she finally said, yes, you can take bass lessons. And so her mom looked online to see if there were any teachers that taught bass. And sure enough, she found about seven teachers that taught guitar and about 15 that taught piano and a few that taught violin, but there were no bass teachers there. So she saw one guitar teacher that said that he taught classical guitar, he taught folk, and he taught rock and R&B. And it was the only one that even listed something like R&B. So she called this teacher, and his name was P.L. Lewiston. And when P.L. picked up the phone, he sounded like he was out of breath, like he had just run up some stairs. And he said, yeah, what do you need? Hardly the kind of answer she expected from a teacher, but Christine's mom told her, I have a young daughter, she's 10 years old, and she desperately wants to play the bass. And PK was said, uh, well, I'm a, a guitar teacher. I don't teach the bass. And at this point, her mom was sort of at the end of her rope with this whole gotta learn the bass thing that Christine kept mentioning every single day, nagging her mom. So she just decided to be very honest with this gentleman. And she told him, look, I don't know who else to call. There's no one that teaches bass that I can find in the metro Columbus, Ohio area. And I really need someone to teach my daughter because she's ceaseless with her desire to learn the bass. And PK took a long beat and he thought, all right, I think I know the guy. And he proceeded to give Christine's mom a phone number and a name, but the name was not really even like a name. He just said, I think you want to call Butter. And he proceeded to give a phone number. And she said, Butter? And he said, yeah, I think you want to call Butter. Okay. She said, and she proceeded to write down his number, which had an area code she'd never heard of before. And she'd lived her whole life outside of Columbus. But as soon as she hung up and thanked the gentleman, of course, she called the number and it rang and rang. And it had one of those rings that doesn't sound like a normal phone ring, like 
almost sounds like you're calling someone from 40 years ago, and it just kept ringing and ringing. Occasionally, it'd be a weird click. Finally, after about 15 rings, her mom was watching their dog in the backyard, so she let it ring far more than she normally would. Finally, there was a louder click, and an answering machine picked up, and it definitely wasn't voicemail. It was an answering machine. You could hear it. You could hear the tape spinning. And then there was a hiss underneath it, and it just said, This is Butter. If you want me, speak. Christine's mom, a bit taken aback, heard the beep and said, Yes, uh, Mr. Butter. My daughter wants to learn the bass. And she gave her phone number with the Columbus, Ohio area code and the number. And she hung up. Christine's mom had about 20 things to do that day. Christine's brother had a baseball tournament. She had to drive him to. She had to get some groceries. There was a gentleman coming by to fix the hot water heater in the house and on and on and on. So she just went back in her day and she didn't think about a thing. And then the next day when both the kids came home from school, Christine and her brother Darren, around 3.45, she was making them their after-school snacks. She liked to do slices of apple with some peanut butter on them. When... Darren said, Mom, there's someone outside the house. And she looked outside the house, and there was the biggest, most purple car she'd ever seen in her entire life. She didn't know a lot about cars, but if she had, she would have known that it was a Chrysler New Yorker, vintage 1979, with white leather hood on it and bright purple paint. And there was a gentleman leaning on the front of the car, and he had almost what looked like a pharaoh's beard. You know, that jutting, almost symmetrical beard went out about six inches. And he wore big, wide corduroy pants that were bright yellow. And he wore a shirt with a rippling, what do you call it, taffeta? Maybe that's not quite right. I don't know a lot about clothes, but taffeta ripples going down. And he was smoking one of those long-stemmed, thin pipes and taking big puffs off of it and blowing out perfect symmetrical smoke rings. Well, Christine's mom, by the way, who at this point deserves a name, whose name is Cynthia. Cynthia, who was 49 years old, came out of the house. She had a Dorothy Hamill haircut, very conservative, but very chipper, Her vibe was kind of Katie Couric, up, fun, smart. And she came outside and she said, Uh, hello, sir, can I help you? And once again, he took the long drag off the pipe and blew out a perfect smoke ring and he said, I'm butter, you rang. Cynthia was like, oh. She was taken aback. By the way, this gentleman was tall, like six, seven, and thin, bony. And she said, yes, I called you yesterday. My daughter is interested in bass lessons. And he said, well, then let's get to it. 
She said, well, usually the way it works when we hire tutors or teachers is we set a time and a day. And he says, ma'am, if you haven't noticed by now, there's nothing usual about me. If your daughter wants to learn to slap the bass, then she should exit the house right now. Now, ordinarily, if someone had talked like that to Cynthia or her family, she would have said no. She would have pulled the plug, but there was something oddly not threatening about Butter. There was a calm to him, and even though there was nothing about his appearance that radiated any sort of traditional adult decisions, she kind of trusted him and felt safe. She went in and looked at her daughter, who was in the back finishing her apples with peanut butter on it, and she said, Christine, your bass teacher's here. And Christine leapt up like she'd been waiting all day for this announcement and was like, All right, Mom, I'll be back. Gave her a back-and-forth kind of sing-songy wave and went outside and said, Hey, I'm Christine. The gentleman with the pharaoh beard and the long pipe said, Hello, I'm Butter. And she jumped in the car. Cynthia realized after they drove away that she'd probably done something wildly irresponsible, letting her young 10-year-old daughter jump in a giant purple Chrysler New Yorker with a guy named Butter who had a pharaoh's beard and smoked from a long, thin pipe. And just when the panic started to hit her about a half an hour to 40 minutes later, she heard a rumble outside and the Chrysler in New Yorker was there. And she saw her daughter get out of the passenger seat holding a long, thin music case with a handle on it that looked about twice as big as Christine. Butter leaned into the window and said, Christine's got the bill for my services. I'll see you next week. And Christine came running in the house lugging this giant case which somehow she seemed to manage. And when she got in the house, her mom said, well, that was the lesson. And Christine said, It was great, Mom. I've got to go do math homework. And she carried the case all the way up to her room. That night when her husband, Brian, came home, and everyone was getting ready for dinner, she heard these sounds coming from Christine's room, these thumping, pulsing sounds that almost seemed to vibrate the house. They weren't too loud. It wasn't anything worth banging on the ceiling for or telling her to keep it down. Then finally, when dinner was ready, she called for Christine, and Christine came out of the room exactly on time, and they all had a wonderful dinner. Cynthia tried to ask her about the bass lesson, but Christine just kept saying it was great and Butter was really nice and she was excited to get to play the bass. Well, this went on for the next month until Christine finally came to her mom and said she wanted to take two lessons a week. The truth is the lessons weren't that expensive. Cynthia had been paying the bills and they were $60 a piece. I mean, that was money, but it wasn't crazy. And truth was, Christine had been in a really good mood for the last month and seemed to be doing well. Although every time Cynthia tried to open her bedroom door and see her playing what she thought was a bass, 
Christine would quickly put the base down and she would just see her daughter there holding a giant sunburst jazz Fender bass with a long neck on it with no amplifier, even though it was an electric bass. And she would always ask her, well, do you need an amplifier? Christine would just say, no, I'm just trying to get the fingering right. I can hear it. So when she went to two classes a week, Cynthia agreed. Well, two classes turned to three, turned to four. And pretty soon it wasn't Butter picking up Christine. It was Butter and Fat Dog and Rollo. Gentlemen who all had a unique fashion sense would pull up in the purple Chrysler New Yorker. Rollo was large, about 300 pounds, had a little soul patch, wraparound shades. And each time there would be different gentlemen with them. And each time they would say one thing to Cynthia, Christine's mom. Your girl can play. And then finally one day, Christine got out of the car and she had a little box amp, a tiny little personal box amp. And from that point on, things got a little difficult. Every night, Christine would play that bass, and Cynthia couldn't deny the flow was tight. The up and down, the rhythm, the progressions, it was clear Christine had learned a lot. But now, with an amplifier, it was loud, and some neighbors started complaining. Cynthia was mixed. It was loud. It was distracting, but it sounded good. Cynthia hadn't been dancing in 15 years. That was the last time her and her husband, Brian, had gone to see a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert in Cincinnati. And suddenly their little 10-year-old daughter was dropping these bass lines that were undeniably hip-shaking and, dare she even say, hot. Well, finally, one day, Butter came to pick up Christine, and this time he got out of his car and he went up to the front door and he said, Miss Christine's mom? She said, well, my name's Cynthia. And he said, Cynthia, your daughter can play and it's time she did a show. Cynthia didn't know what to make of it. She said, well, I'm happy she can play, but she's 10 years old. And he said, age and music have no relation with each other. The music's either there or it's not and the music is there for your daughter. So she's gonna be playing at a club this Saturday night at 11 p.m. called The Blind Cobra. And I would like to give you an invitation. And he handed out a flyer to her. And the flyer had a picture of a cobra with black sunglasses on. It said The Blind Cobra, this Tuesday, Christine. She's 10 years old. She's not playing at a club like this. Butter said, Well, that's between you and your daughter. But I hope to see you there. Christine was already in the house. It already went upstairs. Cynthia went in. Butter drove away. And once again, even though he was slightly confrontational, it didn't bother Christine's mom that much. There, once again, something kind of comforting about him, even though what he was suggesting was absolutely insane. The idea that her 10-year-old daughter would be playing at a club called the Blind Cobra, which, by the way, she had heard of. It popped up on the local news sometimes, and occasionally, once every couple of years, there was even a police report at the Blind Cobra. This was an area that was quite dangerous, closer to Columbus, in one of the areas that wasn't exactly the safest place. 
Well, when she talked to her husband, Brian, he just chuckled and said, oh, she should absolutely do it, as though she were going to be playing t-ball with all the neighbor's kids. And Cynthia kept thinking, am I being uptight? She even occurred to her because Butter was African-American. Am I being racist? Am I being classist? So she talked to Christine, who was in her room with her box amp going, working scales on her bass like she'd been playing for five years. And Christine just said, Oh, yeah, of course I'm going to play, Mom. It's going to be fun. Cynthia asked a bunch of her friends, who all had the same response. How exciting. How great that your daughter's into something. Oh, can we come? So finally, as Saturday rolled around... There was a group of about 20 people, friends, families, neighbors, grandparents, aunts, uncles, who were all going to go to the Blind Cobra out by the abandoned warehouses in industrial Columbus and watch Christine play. Butter showed up around 9.30 and said he had to pick Christine up for sound check, and he would see him there. Around quarter after 10, everyone loaded up in the family car the used Subaru that they drove, the Subaru station wagon. And Darren, Brian, and Cynthia drove to the Blind Cobra in the industrial section of Columbus. And on the way, Cynthia thought, oh, how closed off and suburban have I been? This is wonderful. My daughter's going to play music. But then they turned the corner and they saw the club and it was rough. There was a tire fire down the street, and there were some shirtless kids running across the intersection, breaking bottles, spray paint everywhere, marking the presence of local youth gangs, and a group of people out in front of the Blind Cobra clearly smoking pot and maybe something even worse. Cynthia got nervous and tight, but Brian seemed incredibly nonplussed, so they all went into the club, and it was jam-packed. It was sweaty. It had the vibe of, have you, ever, have you ever seen the video for I'm Just Waiting on a Friend by the Rolling Stones, where they were hanging out in the East Village on that stoop and there's a bunch of guys with big hats and clearly the undertone of the video is I'm waiting on a friend to bring me heroin. That was the vibe of this club, only 10 times more crowded and 10 times more hot. They jammed in and tried to find a little corner and Brian came back with a couple bottles of beer and a... Uh, a well shot of Coca-Cola for Darren, and they all crammed in until eventually uh, MC stepped up, who was in his 40s, and he said, we have a treat for you tonight. We have the unveiling of a new bass player, and she's going to be playing with the band Mentally Ill Possum, and uh, we hope you enjoy the bass stylings of Simply Christine. And with that, a bunch of all made their way to the stage and then Christine went and Butter was there and he pulled out a bar stool and she sat up on it. Christine with this bass that was twice her size and the MC said, ladies and gentlemen, mentally ill possum and they kicked in, the drum kicking in like a gunshot, the guitar coming in piercing high end and most of all that bass dropping underneath it and for the next 50 minutes, this band shook, rocked, grabbed, gave a kiss on the neck of this entire crowd. And Christine rode the bass like she'd been doing it for decades. And Cynthia and her husband, Brian, danced, Darren danced, the whole crowd danced. 
And even when occasionally a bottle would break or someone would shriek out something no one cared as the room sweated, undulated, and oozed to this incredible music. And most of all, that bass line and that rhythm section with the drums that seemed like they had been connected with an umbilical cord from birth, pulsed, played, blasted, and shook for almost an hour straight. And when they were done, the crowd went crazy. Sweaty-faced people that looked like they were from all around the world, different skin tones, muscular structures, heights, weights, everyone just thundering and applauding. And before she knew it, Christine was up next to her with her bass, seemingly instantaneously already in its case. All right, Mom, we should go home. I have ballet class tomorrow. The whole family went, got in the Subaru station wagon, and they drove home. There was a bit of silence when they were in the car. And finally, Cynthia said, You sounded really good, Christine. And her husband, Brian, said, You did. I was proud of you. There was a long pause. Darren said, Yeah, that was fucking weird. Brian said, Hey, Watch the language. Christine said, Thank you, guys. Thanks for letting me do that. That was really fun. And they drove home to have some chicken fingers as a late-night snack. The next morning at 10 a.m., Christine went to her ballet class, and Cynthia went to her book club. The end. That was great. (laughs) I feel like I just ate 15 milligrams of melatonin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully people are asleep by now or very tired. And uh, 15 milligrams is too much just to cover our liability. Ideally, you want five, maybe 10 at the most. Um, But yeah, a little story for you. And uh, hopefully you'll tune in again next week. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, Adam. Bye-bye. Bedtime Stories with Adam McKay is a production of Hyperobject Industries and Sony Music Entertainment. It's executive produced by Adam McKay, Claire Slaughter, and me, Harry Nelson, with production assistance by Jordan Allen and Zaley Mahone. Engineering, sound design, and original score by Isaac Lee. Thanks for listening, and if you're dreaming right now, I hope that nothing too disturbing is happening. Ha <laughs> ha